Good morning. <laughs> so we have a very small crowd, which is probably for two reasons. We charged money, <laughs> but also humane vitae. <laughs> okay, so this is very interesting to me. Um, I think the only less popular subject we could have done was theology of the body and celibacy. Actually, I, one time I did that for, um, it was a Theology of the Body Congress in Philadelphia, and I, I was presenting with a priest, and our topic was Theology of the Body and Celibacy, and only 15 people showed up, <laughs> and the other workshops were packed, <laughs> so we made a big joke out of it. We said, see how popular celibacy is? <laughs> um, so, so this is very interesting to me, and actually, it's, it's telling me that we need to really connect theology of the body with humane vitae because John Paul II, in great part, wrote theology of the body to explain humane vitae. So at the end of the text of theology of the body is all of his commentary on humane vitae. So, so yeah, it, this is this is informing me that I need to make that connection because. When we do theology of the body talks, it's packed here, right? If it's on dating and love and stuff like relationships, but humanity vitae is huge, right? It's not just it's not just about contraception. You know, it's a view of the human person. So that all of us need. I'm a celibate and I need humanity vitae. Okay, not just so I can teach it to people, but I need it for my own self-perception. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. So let's begin with a prayer, as always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Together. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be recreated, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. St. John Paul II, witness to hope, apostle of the human person and servant of Jesus and Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would like the PowerPoint and the handouts on your chairs digitally, just text me your email address right now. Text me your email address. Don't text me your phone number because once you text me, I have your phone number. And I'm not going to text you all this stuff. I need your email address with a little at sign. Only your email address, not thank you, sister. Can you please send me? I know who you are and what you want. It won't work unless you just send me your email address. Thank you very much. Okay, so you have the schedule. I'm going to pre be presenting on Humane Vitae from a Theology of the Body perspective for the morning. After lunch, we have somebody from the Natural Family Planning community here in Toronto is going to explain the Billings method. There are different methods of natural family planning, but she's an expert on the Billings method. She's going to explain that and take questions. Then we have two testimonies, um, a couple that's not here yet, and then Jeanette and Rios are going to give us their testimony as well of like how this affects their marriage, how natural family planning affects their marriage, etc. And I don't take questions as I'm presenting. Um, there's just too much to present, and hopefully I'll answer some of your questions as I go. But if you do have questions, please jot them down on the index card that you have on your chair and bring them to me at the break. So if you have any questions. 
This is being audioed, so the audio will be available afterwards. I have a SoundCloud Theology of the Body account with some of my talks, so this is going to be going on there, so you can share that with your friends and all the people that didn't come. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm not disappointed. <laughs> all right. So um, if you could just grab, first, the first handout you could grab is a few science stats, including social sciences. So, and it just ha so happens that contraception is the first topic. There are five topics on this handout that I, I pretty much just thought of off the top of my head. And then you have columns showing what the sexual revolution says, what the church says, and what science says. So the church and science are on the same page, but the sexual revolution is out in left field, unscientifically telling us to do things that are bad for our mental health, spiritual health, physical health, and relationship health. And no, we didn't know that right away. Like, we didn't know that in the 60s. The pill was invented what year? 1960, actually. So and was, there's always been forms of birth control, contraception, and abortion. There's always been that. But it's never been so effective and convenient as now. So the sexual revolution would have been impossible without the pill. Nobody would have just started sleeping around because women would have been getting pregnant all over the place, right? So the pill, above all other forms of birth control, really enabled the sexual revolution. And what is the sexual revolution? What is it? What is its basic premise? <laughs> exactly. Sex anytime, with anyone, anywhere, anyway, for any reason, you know. Um, yeah. So God, creation, the Bible, science, and the church are all saying the same thing, which would make sense, right? God uh, it created creation, right? He gave us the Bible and the church, or the church and the Bible, to do it in order. No, the Bible and the church. Um, and then science just tells us how God made everything, how amazing it is and how it works best, right? That's, that's science's findings. Now, how we apply science is a different story. That's where ethical application of science comes in. But science itself is just telling us how amazing God made everything and how it works best for us and not against us. So I hope this just gives you a little idea, this chart of why we should listen to God and science and the church and the Bible and not the sexual revolution. It's proven, right? It's proven now. We didn't have this science, some of this science even 10 or 20 years ago, but now we do. And so should we do what God says anyway and the church anyway, even if we didn't have the science? Yes, yes, we should. But now, we, God is so gracious that he's allowed modern science to show us beyond the shadow of a doubt that anything he told us is bad for us actually is. Anything he told us is good for us actually is. We have proof now. We have evidence, hard evidence. Okay. So, I am going to begin now. Now, we're not going to do like any foundational work on theology of the body because it would take too long. But there's a few simple things we do need to know um, 
before we go on or, or humanae vitae is not going to make sense. First of all, the human person is body and soul together forever. That's the definition of a human person. That's why it's so important what we do with our bodies. I've asked seventh graders when they, when they learn this, because a lot of Christians don't even understand about the resurrection of the body, that we're getting our bodies back. They're like, what? I thought I was going to float around like Casper the Friendly Ghost for all eternity, right? You just get rid of your body when you die and woo, it's all spiritual. It's like, nope, body's coming back, resurrection of the body. Um, so I've asked seventh graders, like, do you think that makes a difference if we know that we're getting our bodies back? Yeah, like makes a difference to how we live our lives now. Absolutely. Okay. Here's another thing that I didn't put up there, but is it correct to say I am a body or I have a body? Is it correct for human beings to say I am a body or I have a body? Which is it? How many people say I am is correct? I am a body. How many people say I have a body is correct? Okay, it's I am not I have. Do you see the world of difference between those two statements? So if I am my body, this is me. This is part of what it means to be a human being. So body and soul are equally good, equally human, equally me. It's not my soul is my true self and then I have this other thing called the body. If I have a body, then it's not me. I, the true self, the soul, has this other thing called a body that I can do what I want with. It's just raw material. It doesn't matter, right? So we have to be very careful because sometimes we talk that way, like I have a body or something. Um, no, I am a body. I am a soul. But we don't go around saying I am a body. I am a soul. We say I am a person because it's, it's a unity. It's so united uh, but we are a unity in duality. Human beings are the freaks of the universe. We unite spirit and matter like no one else, okay? But I am my body. Bodies are us. This is me. Every bit me. It's not a lower part of me or a lesser part of me. And my soul is the pure, holy, spiritual part of me. And my body is the lowly, earthly, animalistic part of me. It's like, nope, 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 sorry, sorry. You are sacred, the whole thing. Body and soul is sacred. Body and soul is personal. It's all personal. Persons are personal. It's me. Okay. What else do you need to know? Oh, okay. So John Paul II calls us body hyphen persons. Isn't that interesting? He likes hyphens. He calls us body persons. Why? Because he never wants us to think of ourselves us outside of our bodies or aside from our bodies and just think in spiritually concerns. And, and you might think that's really awkward body person. It's not. It's not at all. Because there are persons that are not bodies. Who are, who are some persons that are not bodies? Angel. Angels, exactly. And God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Which members of the Trinity are not body persons? Father and Holy Spirit. Is Jesus a body person? Uh-huh. He is now. Second person of the Blessed Trinity. Body person for all eternity. 
what? Would you do that if you were God? If you were pure spirit, would you be take on a human body forever? Would you do that? This is telling us something about the body, how sacred it is, and that the divine interfaces with the human, not just the human soul, the human spirit, the human body. Well, okay. So we are body persons. So there's no such thing as love, 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 love is love is love is love. Have you heard that one? Love is love, love who you want, love is love is... No, it involves the body. It involves a lot of things. There's different kinds of love. There's eros, agape, philia, storge, different kinds of love. And also, how old is this person? Be very careful what slogans you sign up for. Love is love is love is love. Love who you want. That could be a child. If we're going to just spiritualize everything and the body doesn't matter, you can love a child. And what kind of love are you talking about right now? Sexual love? Mm. Make no mistake, my friends, pedophilia is a big part of the sexual revolution to, to make that legal. That is, that, is, that is an end game goal. Just so you know, it's out there. It's there and it's hidden in slogans that we, they want us to only apply to one thing. And, and so we sign on. We're like, oh, yeah, I, that's, I guess that's okay if you do that one thing. No, no, no. You just broke down the entire edifice. And so and the principles, and now that's applicable to anything. Does that make sense? To be very careful what we sign on to. We are body hyphen persons. Is this person already married? Love is love is love is love. Is this person already married? Is this person my boss? Am I related to this person? What kind of love are we talking about? And who is this person? What is my relationship to them? And their body, the bodies that they are. Is it a male or female? That matters. It actually matters. Yes. Okay. Stopping sarcastic Sterlina. Stop. Okay, so um, if you came in, you uh, saw this trailer playing for this amazing brand new film called Sexual Revolution, 50 Years Since Humane Vitae, which um, is by Springtime Productions. They also did a wonderful documentary on the original image of the Divine Mercy. So it's going to be a very good one. I haven't seen the whole film, but... It's fascinating because the gal who is singing, how many people saw the trailer playing over and over and over? <laughs> okay. So the gal who's singing, and um, she was also interviewed, was an atheist, former atheist. She was donor conceived. So when she met her, her boyfriend, who's now her husband, she said to him, I'm donor conceived, meaning sperm donor, anonymous sperm donor father. And he says, I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't know whether to say congratulations or I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, she had a huge conversion. She used to um, uh, uh, volunteer for NARAL, the Abortion National Action League and Abortion Rights League. Um, and she used to give her friends copies of Dawkins' books for Christmas on like why they should become atheists. Anyway, she did a, a 180 because of Humane Vitae. You know, that spoke to her situation. And she sees the beauty of natural family planning and the respect that we have for the human body and the respect for the dignity of the human body that we have and for women, which we'll, we'll see. Okay, why Humanae Vitae is so good for women. So here's, here's um, we're going to look at two charts. One is the seven stages to true love and the other is the five Fs of true love. And we're not going to go into them in depth. But this is from John Paul II's Love and Responsibility. So these are the stages to true love. It takes time. 
right? True love takes time. And the only place for sex is married love. Just like the media tells us, right? <laughs> we save ourselves for marriage. I like that better than saving sex because then it becomes, sex just becomes this side thing, right? That's not really me. But I'm saving myself for marriage, for someone, for, uh, for, to make that self, that total self-gift to someone. Now, again, if we've, if we've messed up, um, does God allow U-turns? Yes. Okay. Um, so actually, there's only two vocations, virginity and marriage. There's only two vocations, properly speaking, vocations, because a vocation is permanent and vowed. And we're not going to get into all of that, like how, then how does one live the single life, right? That's, that's another story. And it's all good news. All of it is good news. Nobody's left out. Okay. So, so if we're not virgins, physical virgins anymore, we call it restored virginity. So when we decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it God's way now, we call it restored virginity. So nobody's left out of those two vocations, virginity and marriage. But married love is the only place for sex. Why? Because of the five F's of true love. The language of sex, John Paul II talked a lot about the language of the body and the language of sex is saying you alone forever. So every time we have sex with someone, our body says, I just married you. I just married you. I just married you. I just married you. It's, it's the language of forever. It's a permanent language, the language of sex. And our bodies are really smart. They're always trying to work for us. So they're assuming that this is your spouse. And your body knows when you are not staying with the same person. Your body knows that. And at a certain point, it will say, okay, we are no longer going to expend all this energy and chemicals trying to bond you to this person forever. <laughs> because that's what happens in sex. Our bodies try to bond us to that person forever. And if we do that many, many times, that's why people, you know, they're in their 40s and they've been sleeping around most of their lives and they're like, I can't seem to connect with anybody anymore, physically or spiritually. And, and it's really tough, you know, um, because our bodies like gave up, <laughs> gave up trying to help us, right? Again, nothing's impossible, but the more we know, the better choices we can make, right? In life. Okay. So... That's really, really, again, I can, some, some of my former students have heard me go on and on about these charts, but we don't have time. But this is why um, married love is the only place in these seven stages to true love for sex. And why is it just, why is it only male-female for marriage? Why is there no such thing as same-sex marriage? What is marriage based on? Do not give me a spiritual answer. Remember, we are body hyphen persons. So what in, in its most basic form is marriage based on? And again, remember, there's arranged marriages. Those aren't based on romance and love, loving feelings and everything. And arranged marriages are legit as long as the couples are the, the partners are completely free and agree to it and are not being forced into it. And a lot of them want it. They'd ask their parents, can you find me a spouse, right? In, in many cultures. 
And that's okay. And romantic love is marriage based on romance is okay too. They're just emphasizing two different things in, in those marriage situations, two different emphases. But what is marriage based on? Yes. Yes, so procreation has to be a possibility, which cannot be. Same-sex couples can never, ever, 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 ever reproduce. So, and you say, well, they could adopt. Well, that's, that's not the same as having the capability of, of reproducing, right? Um, you say, well, what about infertile couples? We don't know that they're infertile when they get married, right? Even if they have a diagnosis of infertility, how many people have been told they will never have children and they get married and they start conceiving children? How many people know somebody who was told or heard of somebody who was told they will never have children and they had kids? Yeah. So, so that's why the church, you, you just have to be capable of sexual intercourse to be able to be married. Um, male, female, obviously. But diagnoses of infertility doesn't, mean, doesn't really mean much. A friend of mine just sent me um, a picture of triplets. Her cousin was told as a teenager, she has PCOS, I don't know what that is. I have to look it up because this just happened. And she said, sister, my cousin was told as a teenager she would never ever have children. She just naturally conceived, no fertility drugs, no nothing. Naturally conceived triplets. <laughs> they were born and they're perfectly healthy and doing great. So God is the author of life, right? He is the master of life, and he does miracles in the womb all the time. Right? So, so marriage, what is marriage based on? It's based on the otherness of body hyphen persons. Marriage at its most fundamental is based on the otherness of body persons. Male to female, female to male. That's what it was always, always was from the beginning. Remember, Jesus kept bringing us back to the beginning Everything he said, well, yeah, you're doing this now, but it wasn't that way in the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's true. You guys are, God maybe allowed something or Moses allowed something. But it was like, that's not God's plan. <laughs> that was not God's original plan. So Jesus came to restore God's original plan. And did you know that it's a dogma of our faith that marriage is one man, one woman? It's a dogma. This means uh, de fide, to be believed by all the Catholic faith. You want to call yourself Catholic, this is what you must believe, right? And ladies, this protects us from polygamy. One man, one woman. Why don't they just say man, man and woman? One man, one woman to protect us from polygamy, okay? So the church is on our side, ladies. Only the Catholic church upholds woman in her fullest dignity. Why? Why only the Catholic Church, out of all the entities and religions and institutions and organizations in the world, and, and some that claim to you know, have women's best interests at hearts, and they probably are trying, but why is it only the Catholic Church? And you need to understand that I am a former radical feminist. You will also be able to access my testimony on that on my SoundCloud account. Why is it? Yes. Uh, we, we're going to write down questions because we're not, if you have something that's just a question question, if you can write it down on the index card on your chair with the pencil, sorry, and just bring it up at the, at the break. 
Why is it only the Catholic Church? Because the church is female. Yeah, th- yes, that's huge. Like, how could the church be against itself? The church is female, right? Mother Church. It's because of Jesus. Is this his church? Is the Catholic Church his church? Mm-hmm. Um, and who was Jesus? God. So God himself had to come to earth to restore woman to her equal dignity with man and, and what is, whatever is in woman's best interest. He established that. That's why it's not about we're so great because we're Catholic or anything like that or we're so brilliant and clever. Jesus did it. Jesus, who made woman and knows woman and loves woman just as she is, restored her 2,000 years ago. And we're still trying to live that out, right? Okay. Let's move on. So that's, that's just, just some little basics there. All right. So this shows us the way to true love, the seven stages of true love from John Paul II's Love and Responsibility, which is his book that came before Theology of the Body, which is often called the Philosophy of the Body. The five F's of true love show us the, the nature of true love, but now we need to know what the conditions for true love and true sex are. By the way, do you know where these come from? Well, first of all, why does it have to be these five F's? Does it have to be these? Could it have been God's nine Q's of true love? Could it have been something else? Why does, does it have to be these? And if so, why? Yes, this, this describes married love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you know where this is from? Actually, yes. Um, not exactly, because Genesis doesn't quite flesh it out for us. Flesh it out. These actually comes from Humanae Vitae. A lot of people don't know this. Now, Christopher West will give you four. Christopher West is Mr. Theology of the Body. He's the first one that broke down the big Theology of the Body text for the rest of us. And he does four. He does free, full is total, he'll say total, Faithful and fruitful. So that's just, right, it just trips off people's tongues if you know theology of the body. Free, total, faithful, fruitful. Free, total, faithful, fruitful. Like, it's a mantra, right? I like alliteration, so I call total full. And I add fundamental at the top because people today do not understand anything that's based on the body anymore because the body really doesn't matter today, right? People just don't even consider the body. So why... Sex is male to female, female to male, and also treating each other as persons and not things, right? Not using our bodies or using each other. So it's the other, the other. We don't say the opposite sex in theology of the body because we're not opposed. <laughs> the opposite, we say the other sex, okay? All right. Okay. But what is the... What are the conditions for true sex? Or rather, what are the purposes of sex? Now, there's two. Whoopsie. I just gave the answer. <laughs> there are two that are, are very commonly understood. But we're going to take four purposes of sex. So what are the two? 
There's different names for them. We can call them by different names. Union and procreation, yeah. Or, to keep it real simple, love and life, right? Love and life. Now, we might think, well, love is of the soul and life is of the body, right? So union and procreation. Yes, but we can also flip that. Love is of the body. Love is of the body. Love is physical, too, right? Because we're body persons. And life is spiritual. Being life-giving, right? Because I, I sure hope so, because I'm a spiritual mother. <laughs> okay? I'm, I'm not going to give physical birth anytime soon, right? So life is also spiritual. God gives us spiritual life, right? Also to participate in the divine life, etc. So let's not just spiritualize love. Love is physical. Life can be spiritual as well. Now, there are two other purposes of sex that make it also very God-oriented. Because it's our sexuality that makes us most in the image of God, most like God, and just ties us directly into God. It's our sexuality that does that. So what, what are two other purposes of sex? This is a little hard to get, because we don't talk about it. But the allergy of the body talks about it. Yeah. Is the union of two, of two people becoming one flesh? Yes, two becoming one flesh. It's also a taste of heaven a foretaste of the bliss of heaven, and a way to heaven. What? Yes, sex is a big part of marriage, right? Marriage is a sacrament. Marriage gets you holy. Marriage is the ordinary way of holiness, the ordinary vocation of holiness. So it's all four of these things. What makes something sacred? Three things. From God? Comes from God and it goes towards back to God. That's two? Yes. <laughs> from God leads us back to God and reveals God to us. So I have this elderly gentleman comes to a lot of my TOB talks and his wife was sitting next to him and I said, it, is, is your wife, does she come from God? Yes. Does she reveal God to you? Yes. Is she leading you back to God? Yes. So your wife is sacred, right? He wouldn't say it. He thought that was making her divine. Sacred is not divine, right? Sacred is actually God sharing something of his own holiness with us and with his creation, but doesn't make us divine. Um, so he, he said, she's lovable. <laughs> he would not say that his wife was sacred. And I kept, um, every time I saw him after that, your wife is sacred, right? Okay. Okay, so two imperfect people do something so perfect, right? We take two imperfect people and they do something so perfect because a lot of times we're involved in things that are way bigger than ourselves, right? So one of the biggest problems of hooking up or, you know, one night stands or even living together is that 
the couples are blocking too, right? When you're just living together or having a one-night stand, you're not interested in having babies and raising a family, right? How many people, <laughs> let's have a one-night stand and get pregnant and have kids. <laughs> like, no. So they're blocking this for sure or trying their, their darndest to block that, right? Life. Um, and it's not a, a taste of heaven because this is not a path that's leading to heaven, right? Fornication does not lead to heaven, right? Um, so it's not a taste of heaven and it's not a way to heaven. So it's, it, it's not two, three, or four, those purposes of sex, but it's not even number one. You say, well, at least they have some love, maybe, you know, if they're living together or this is um, a relationship that's accompanying uh, sex, but it's really not love because it's not a total gift, right? Living, even living together sends the terrible, terrible message of conditional love. I, I don't commit to you. I'm going to make a total gift to myself, but not really, because I'm not, I don't know how long this is going to last. I, I'm not going to, I don't trust you totally. I'm not going to commit to you. I'm here as long as things are good, as long as things work out, right? And if they don't work out, we, we go our separate ways. So living together, hooking up and all of that does not fulfill even one of the purposes of sex. Wow. Now we hope that couples that are at least living together might make that a marriage someday if, if they're meant to be together, if they're really right for each other. There's an excellent book. It's on your science stats handout called The Ring Makes All the Difference. And it's, it's all the studies about, secular studies about living together and how that does not bode well for um, even staying together in marriage. So sometimes couples, they're, young couples are just terrified of divorce. They've seen so much of it, right? So they think that, oh, if we live together, we can avoid divorce. We'll like make sure that this is going to work. But a pretend marriage doesn't, you're not getting the benefit. It's not for real, right? So you haven't put your whole self in it yet. So that's what, there's so many problems with that. So John Paul II says there's no such thing as a trial marriage. Think about it. There's no such thing as a temporary permanent, <laughs> right? They kind of cancel each other out. So, yeah. And again, secular studies sh show us this stuff. So marriage is a bold and brave commitment of love that says our marriage, my spouse is the most important thing in the world to me, and we're going to do everything to make us work in sickness and in health, in for richer, for poorer, in good times and in bad. So so here is how men and women are in the image of God and why. So if we were to have studied some theology of the body, what does Genesis say men and women are? How are we made? Very short and sweet. We are made how? In the image and likeness of God. So what does that mean? We hear that all our lives. We're made in the image of God. What the heck does that mean? For real. Like what does that concretely mean? Are our bodies made in the image of God or is it just our souls? 
both because we're one person. We can't have part of us made in the image of God and part not. And I could almost make the case that we are, our bodies are more in the image of God than our souls. What? Why? What is an image? Something you can see. Can we see our souls? No. Can we see our bodies? So what comes right after that in that phrase of the Bible? There's no period at the end of that sentence. Made in the image and likeness of God. That's not the end of the sentence. So whatever comes after that must be very important and explain what it means to be in the image of God. Male and female means, that's what it means to be in the image of God. Male and female. The sexual difference is the image of God. And men and women image God differently. Differently. Men image God's transcendence in particular, and women image God's imminence in particular. If you want to read more about that, Catechism of the Catholic Church number 239 and 2779. Catechism of the Catholic Church 239 and 2779. I just I was I was just at the Archdiocese of Boston and we did a whole day on masculinity and femininity with the young adults. It's my favorite part of theology of the body. It's not stereotyping. It's what actually flows from the body and soul of a man or woman organically. It's going to look different on different men and women. There's no stereotypical, idealistic, perfect male or female or or whatever. But what are those beautiful differences that we're called to put together? So men and women are in the image of God as individuals completely, right? So Candia by herself is completely in the image of God. Yes? Yes. Um, sir, in the back, what's your name? Yes. Fabiano? Is Fabiano by himself perfectly in the image of God? Yes. But we are more in the image of God together because we image different types, parts of God. Um, men and women are most in the image of God when they're married because now it's that one flesh union. It's that sacramental image of God. But we are most in the image of God when we're married and engaging in the marital embrace. What? Yes. Sex is, is the holiest thing you can do within marriage. We don't call it sex in theology of the body. We call it the marital embrace. Because it's the whole person, not just body, also soul, past, future, history, fights, kids, vacations, work, makeup, stuff, etc., etc. where we're at in the PowerPoint because something else should be here and I don't see it. Oh, there it is. Oh, so so let me just say also for people who are single or people who are same-sex attracted who could get married, they don't want to though. They're, They're not attracted to the other sex. They could get married. It's not like the Catholic Church is saying you can't get married. It's just they're not interested in people of the other sex. So, or single people, um, who either it's not happening for them, marriage, they're not meeting the right person, or for some other reason, they're called to be single, right? Um, So what about them? Are they, they have no love in their life or they're denied intimacy? No. There's different types of intimacy, right? It's not all just about sex. So John Paul II says, the need to give oneself to another person has deeper origins than the sexual instinct. 
It is not finally and completely satisfied simply by union with another human being, physically or spiritually. So we, we need God. I mean, God is the fulfillment of all of our desires, ultimately, right? So if, if marriage is our calling, then yes, we're going to be fulfilled in a big way in marriage, but not totally, right? So Christopher West, Mr. Theology of the Body, said before he got married, him and his wife both knew Theology of the Body, and they said, we're going to have the best marriage ever, right? Because we know T-O-B. <laughs> and he said, there's a big difference between knowing it and living it, right? <laughs> but he said, and he said, you know, at puberty is when we start to feel this ache and this longing, this profound ache and longing. And we think it's just for sex or just for a relationship with someone. And it's not. It's really about God, ultimately. We start to feel that we didn't feel as a child this deep ache and longing for God. And we have to let our young people know that, that this is what they're feeling. This is why a breakup is so painful, too. You know, because this deep, deep part of ourselves was hurt, right? So, um, or, or if somebody we love doesn't love us back, right? Un unrequited love. Um, it hurts so bad. But what we're feeling is this capacity we have for the infinite. So, yeah. So Christopher said after he got married, he, he said the ache was still there. I mean, he loved his wife. They have a great marriage. They have five kids now. His oldest just went off to college. But he said he was shocked that this ache was still there. He still had these longings and unfulfilled desires because they're for God. That's not how you fold the towels. It doesn't matter how you fold a towel. It does matter how you fold a towel. If you want it to fit in the closet, you have to roll it. Oh my God, could you chew any louder? This goes on here. It takes two seconds. Well, then the next person who comes in, we'll do it. That's not the point. Hey, did you throw away my leftovers? No. I could have... Oh, you bitch. What did you call me? <laughs> Nothing. The toilet paper goes over. It's printed that way so you can see it. No, the toilet paper goes under so that the cats don't get at it. That makes no sense. What do you want to get for dinner? I don't really care. Then just pick something. You choose. Told you. Shut up. I don't see why I have to put the utensils face down. Because when they're sticking up like that, if someone trips and falls, they're going to impale themselves and die. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not playing this game where I list every single thing and you shoot it all down. I'm not doing this again. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Oh my gosh, watch this. This is the best line. Did you watch this without me? <laughs> you were home! Seriously, six more inches and it's in the sink. Put it in six more inches. <sighs> I get it. Anything will be fine. It's fine. food. Fine. All right, we're going to get pizza. Anything but pizza. <laughs> what do you want to eat? That is Bill Paxton. It is Bill Pullman. Bill Paxton was in Aliens. That is Bill Paxton. That is him. Game over, man. That is that man right there. Why am I going to put him away? I'm wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't care if you're wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't want them just sitting by my side of the bed all night. Why do you do this? You squeeze from the bottom. The next person doesn't have to squeeze then. 
It's toothpaste. It's not like it's hard to squeeze it from a new area on the tube. Why are we fighting about this? Why are we fighting about this? I, why are we fighting about this? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made you make the decision. That being said, I think your original call of pizza is fine. Just no pepperoni. <laughs> Anything other than pepperoni. I'm going to murder you, and when the pizza guy gets here, he's going to help me bury your body, and then we are going to get married. No, he won't, because he'll probably be like, yeah, I feel you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, so, what I love about this is little squabbles, right? But they kept talking about it, right? They, they worked it out. They kept communicating instead of the silent treatment or whatever, right? So a lot of times in marriage, it's the little things that build up and build up and become mountains, right? So um, there was VH1, which was the sister station to MTV in the States, had this years ago, had this great series called Rock Wives. So these were... Um, like the geriatric rock, you know, like sticks and um, guns and roses, you know, the guys that are getting old. Um, and so their wives were talking about their marriages and most of them got it right on. Like they understood. They're like, it's a bleeping commitment, man. Like <laughs> you have to like let everything else go and put everything else second or it's not going to work. Your marriage has to be the number one thing in your life. Um, one of the wives said, he knows when he's on the road, no intimate conversations with women. I will kill him. He knows that. <laughs> like, that's how it starts, right? You just start talking and, you know, it's late at night and start sharing. And So I always tell young people, marriage is the ordinary way of holiness. Um, don't deprive yourself of the sacrament of marriage. Because a lot of people are, they're living together or They'll get married by a justice of the peace or some, you know, uh, secular way, but it's not the sacrament, right? So don't deprive yourself of the sacrament of marriage. It's power. It gives you the power to achieve your goals, the goals that you already want. Uh, growing old together goals, having the kids goals, um, true love goals. That's what marriage is it's meant to serve you. Um, and also Satan is terrified of the sacrament of marriage. So that's why he's trying to keep young people away from it because he doesn't have a sacrament. And it makes, it makes people powerful with the power of God, right? So is it that sex outside of marriage is naughty? <laughs> it's improper. It's improper to do that. It's, it's bad manners. <laughs> um, no. It's sacrilegious, okay, which sounds even worse, right? It's like, oh, that's worse than being improper. Well, what is, what is sacrilege? What's sacrilege? Yes, so it's taking something sacred and treating it in an unsacred manner. So you're taking something out of its sacred context. Um, either using it for mundane, non-sacred purposes or profane, irreverent purposes. 
<clears throat> so, for example, if we took a consecrated chalice from the altar, right? It's all, all the vessels on the altar are consecrated for, for only for worship. We brought it down to the local bar. And we started swilling beer in it, and we got drunk, and we dropped it on the floor, and it got dented. And then maybe I brought it to the pawn shop. You know, that would be sacrilege, right? We would never do that. What about our bodies? What about ourselves? We are way more sacred than a, a piece of gold, right? It would be like a seminarian um, who says, well, you know, I'm going to get ordained someday, probably, right? And I know all the words of the Mass. <laughs> So he goes up, starts saying the mass, says the words of consecration. Did that bread and wine really become the body and blood of Jesus? No, he doesn't have a sacrament. What is he doing? He's not supposed to be there. He's not sp- he has no right being on that altar. Do you think that guy's going to get ordained now? <laughs> that was sacrilege, right? It's partly historical. See, we live in ahistorical times. Nothing matters. There's no set... No, we have milestones in our life. We prepare for things. We date. We end up going steady, which we don't say anymore. Um, it's Facebook exclusive or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then we get engaged, and then we get married, and then we have move in together and have sex. Okay, but we don't do that anymore. It's just all ahistorical. Time doesn't matter. There's no set time when things actually change in my life. Sacraments change us. Sacraments change our physical reality and our spiritual reality at a certain moment in time. Boom! You know? Okay. So when something sacred is taken out of context, it can be, instead of helping us and reach holiness, it can be something damaging and destructive. And we might not feel that right away. So it's not about what we feel, feelings, it's, it's the actual reality that's happening to us. And things will not reveal their beauty to us. When we try to use beauty, it will not reveal its secrets to us. They remain hidden. And so we're not even getting the best out of something that we could, right? God wants us to have the full experience of marriage, relationship, sexuality. And we're not going to get that if we're just using, trying to use beauty or taking it out of its sacred context. It's like texting. Texting's good, right? Driving is good, right? If we do them at the wrong time, together, out of context, wrong time, we might not reach our destination, right? Okay, so love and life can't be separated. So which is more important in sex, in the marital embrace, love or life? Which comes first? This is not in any particular order. But which comes first? Which is more important? Love or life? Union or procreation? Neither. They are equally important because they can't be separated. If we separate love from life or life from love, it's use. We are using someone. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So it's like a pair of scissors. Love is one side, life is the other side. If we take away one side of the scissors, are they scissors anymore? Do they do what scissors do anymore? Nope. So we can't separate love and life in the marital embrace. 
contraception was always rejected by the church for 2,000 years. So on our flyer, and abortion, of course. So on our flyer, we, we asked the question, why did the Catholic Church's 1968, which is when Humanae Vitae came out, 1968 reaffirmation of her pro-life stance on contraception and abortion caused such an uproar? Because the church wasn't stating anything new at all. It was just 2,000 years, reaffirming 2,000 years of this. And all of Christianity had, had also rejected contraception and abortion until the 1930s when the Anglican Church was the first church to cave in, basically, and say, well, I guess under certain circumstances in marriage, contraception can be used. And then little by little, other churches signed on. um, And the Catholic Church in the 1960s was like the only holdout, basically. And we'll talk more about that. But see, a lot of it, I, I'm convinced, it's, philo- it's philosophy, not theology. I mean, theology is important, it helps, but philosophy is the handmaid of theology. Have you heard that? If we understand who we are as human persons, not just theologically, but philosophically, who are we? And that's why John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility, lays that really good groundwork. It's actually easier to read also than his Theology of the Body even though it's philosophy, it's just really basic, straight up. What is the nature of the human person? Therefore, what is the nature of human love? And what does it require of us? It's not like there's a bunch of rules and regulations being imposed on us from the outside. It's coming from the inside. This is who I am. This is what love requires of me, body and soul, in my best interest. So if we can't separate love and life in the marital embrace, does that mean that we're supposed to have a million babies? (laughs) Like ideally, every time we have sex, we'll get pregnant. And that's the goal. Is Is that what we're talking about here? About not separating love and life? No. No. Because we have natural family planning. And, and just remember, natural family planning is not the old rhythm method. Who has heard of the rhythm method? And you'll see on television, they'll still refer to that, like on sitcoms and stuff. Oh, yeah, they're using the rhythm method. It's like, that's anachronistic. That is ancient, right? From, it was very imperfect from the 60s and 70s. The science, the technology was not developed yet. Or rather, the science, not so much the technology. Um, Natural family planning is as effective as the pill. So the pill and other forms like IUDs, diaphragms, etc. of contraception, um, natural family planning is as effective as those. So so it can achieve the same end. But we're going to unpack that too. So it's not that if every act in marriage is open to life, that the goal is a bunch of pregnancies or that's even going to happen with natural family planning. The reason it has to be open to life is so that we don't separate this. But it's not just about this. It's about this. Because if it's not open to life, if we're doing something while thwarting one of its major purposes at the same time, it's not a total gift of husband and wife. It's, It's a partial gift. It's a withholding. 
So I love all of you except your fertility. I love all of you at this moment, but I really don't like your fertility. So you need to suppress that. So what is natural family planning in a nutshell? It's abstaining from sex during a woman's fertile time, which could be seven to 10 days of a month. And again, couples don't have to be thinking about babies all the time when, when they're having sex or whatever. Here are many reasons why couples have sex. Sometimes, yes, they are intending like, yeah, we really, we want to get pregnant right now and we're really hoping to conceive. But it doesn't have to be foremost in their minds. Because if a couple got married, they know what marriage is. They, hopefully, they know what sex is. They, they laid this foundation that is always there, whether they're thinking about it at every moment or not, right? Love and life. It's a covenant and a sacrament. They know that they're in the image of God, male and female. They're imaging Christ in the church and the heavenly wedding. So... Because we know that heaven's a wedding, right? The marriage of the Lamb. We're all headed and invited to the heavenly wedding. So no matter why, the other reasons they're having sex, and if you look at some of these, this, these other reasons are not going to come in during a one-night stand or even living together. These other reasons for sex are, are not going to be there. Now, some people say, I've heard some people say, some married couples say, no. You should always be thinking about the sacredness of sex. It's like, well, I don't know because I'm not married. <laughs> and hey, that's beautiful if that's what you do. Um, I read this advice column recently, and a couple went for counseling, marriage counseling, and the husband said he does think of how sacred his wife is, um, what a gift she is to him when they're having sex. And it freaked the wife out because she's, I guess, not terribly religious or whatever. She didn't like that. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, how, how many women would love to hear that, you know? But this, this guy thought, it, and they didn't know because couples a lot of times don't talk about sex or even the most important things before they get married or whatever. And isn't that interesting? The wife did not like that. She was having a big a hard time with that. And the husband was like, well, that's how I, I see it. That's how I approach her. Interesting, right? You can't win. <laughs> um, and again, this is why couples need to know some of this stuff so that before they get married, they can talk about the important things and then keep talking about it. It's not a done deal. It's a journey, right? Life is a journey. Our vocation is a journey. This doesn't happen all at once. We grow. We grow in, in this and let me just say that, um, you know, sexuality is one of the most sensitive, personal things we could ever talk about. And we're all wounded in this area, every last one of us in some way. So, but it's also one of the most social things we could ever talk about because of marriage. Marriage is a public thing that we do. Couples form families, which form neighborhoods, which form communities, which form towns, which form cities, states, countries. That's why the family is the cell of society because they, they produce the future. They produce the babies, right, the, to carry on. And no one's being judged here, right? So whatever people have heard about this stuff before or didn't hear, whatever decisions they've already made and how they've lived their lives, um, no one's being judged here. Because let me ask you this question. How many people have ever read Humanae Vitae, the little document? How many people were taught it? How many people went to Catholic school? 
How many people were taught Humanae Vitae in Catholic school? Okay, for you in audio land, not one hand went up. Like, that's pathetic, right? That's really, really sad. Um, and it has to change. It has to change. So was, people had to do it on their own, right? Figure it out on their own. Um, so how can we hold people accountable to something they've never heard? You know, they've never been taught or, or it's been explained very poorly or very quickly. Or, or how about this? The Catholic Church says, no, don't do it. <laughs> like, that does not fly today. I am sorry. And God wants intelligent obedience, right? Does God want us to understand his reasons and purposes and meanings that he's embedded in things and included most particularly our own bodies? Does he want us to know? Absolutely. Absolutely. He wants us to understand. Ephesians 5, God has given us the wisdom. No, I think it's Ephesians 1. God has given us the wisdom to understand fully the, fully the mystery, the plan he was pleased to reveal in Christ. What did Jesus say? I have revealed to you everything the Father has made known to me. I call you friends because you know what I'm about. Servants, they don't know what their master's about, but I call you friends because I have made known to you. Right. So back in the day, like let, let's say before Vatican II, people used to say, You've probably heard this. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Right? I don't need to know. I'm just going to, I'll just do. People used to obey without understanding. Right? Or the church. The church says it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm going to do it. Do people talk like that today? (laughs) Absolutely not. Right? And again, on, on one hand, we should obey even when we don't understand. We should obey God. Certainly God. But You know, it's not God is over here and the church is over there. This is his church that he's revealing through. So remember, God, creation, Bible, church, science, all on the same page. So I was in um, Alberta recently in Calgary. And this 12-year-old boy came to my, all my talks, all my theology of the body talks with his dad, smart kid. He wanted to understand. And he was pummeling me with questions, you know. So fun. And then we were talking about gender ideology at a certain point and what ideology is. So he came up to me at one point and he says, well, isn't what the Catholic Church teaches just a bunch of ideologies? And I said, no, Adrian. <laughs> we had a great relationship. And this kid had a lot of faith. He really did. And I said, no, Adrian, it's God. I said, Adrian, people like to just say, oh, the church says that so I can dismiss it. Or... Um, Oh, I don't know, the Pope, Pope Paul VI wrote this little thing that we can just ignore. And I said, no, Adrian, people like to say that so they can dismiss it, but it's really God. God is speaking to us. This is how he speaks to us and guides us, right? So Adrian got this big smile on his face. <laughs> I said, you know it, you know it's God. Okay. And so we, we need healing in this area. We all need a lot of healing. Let me just share a real quick story. If you know who Jen Fulweiler is, she has a show on Sirius XM, the Catholic channel, in your cars, your satellite radio in your cars. Um, and she wrote a book called Something Other Than God. She was an atheist for a long time. Smart gal, worked in IT. And she was kind of like looking into Catholicism, though, at a certain point. And she started studying, you know, Humanae Vitae and why does the church say no to contraception? And 
it made sense to her. So even before she became Catholic, she said, I started to obey the church, <laughs> obey God through his Catholic church. And it saved her life <laughs> because she was contracepting and she has a condition where at that time when you get pregnant and you don't know it, if you are on the pill, because there's a short time where you're on the pill and you don't know that you're pregnant yet, right? The first few weeks or whatever. She has a condition where it causes this terrible thrombosis, like blood clots in her legs and stuff, and you can die from that. So there are some women, I mean, the, blood, the pill causes blood clots anyway, but some women have a very particular condition where if you're pregnant and while you're still taking the pill in those early stages, it's much worse and it will kill you. It can kill you. And she knew somebody who died of that. Around the same time she was getting off the pill, this woman got pregnant and she was on, while she was on the pill and died from blood clots. So she said, wow, you know, here I, I wasn't even Catholic and I was obeying, <laughs> you know, obeying, right? But if we don't like to think in terms of obedience um, yet, um, just think of like doing what's good for yourself. Obey your thirst. What's that, Gatorade or something? <laughs> Obey, you know, obey your thirst. Obey what's good for you, right? Okay. So I was I was online at one point chatting with some people, um, and I was talking about how effective natural family planning is. And this woman kept saying, yeah, 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 I know that. She says, but that's not the main reason my husband and I use natural family planning. She said, we use it because we don't want anything coming between us. We don't want anything disrupting our relationship, body or soul. So for example, a condom is something coming between you quite physically. There's no contact. There's no meeting. Where's the meeting? There's not a meeting there. There's something coming between you. Listen to the, the methods, too, of contraception. Listen to these words. And remember that we are our body and soul. So what we do spiritually affects our soul, affects our body. What we do with our body affects our soul. So these things are not just happening physically. They're happening spiritually as well. Withdrawal. The withdrawal method. That's happening spiritually, too. Withdrawal. The couple's withdrawing from each other. Barrier method. <laughs> barrier. Barrier. Um, spermicide. <laughs> Kill those sperm, right? Like, this is, this is sad, right? It's, it's, it's very descriptive of what's going on on a spiritual level as well. Fulton Sheen quipped that birth control is neither about birth or control. <laughs> Meaning self-control. Um, but also, you know, we can't control life. If, you, if you're going to have sex, you might going to have life too, no matter what you do, because life is very persistent. Life's going to find a way. Life's going to find a way. Okay. And yeah, so all that natural family planning requires of us is self-control, self-mastery, right? Um, and it's, is it a sacrifice? Yeah, it's a big sacrifice. We'll hear those testimonies. Um, but... But the, the payoffs, the dividends, what you get from that is amazing in so many different ways, so many wonderful effects. 
So again, you need to know that I was a radical feminist and I was, uh, before my conversion, um, I was cradle Catholic, but didn't believe, re really rejected it all, rejected everything. Um, I was planning to use birth control at some point because I was planning to have sex outside of marriage, planning to live with my boyfriend and maybe never get married and maybe never have kids. And if I got married, like kids weren't like a big thing on my mind that I wanted. So, um, so you need to understand that this has been a long journey for me too. Um, and just quickly, when I entered the convent, like, so I met God because he spoke to me from the blessed sacrament and it was like, shoot, this is his church. Dang, I have to be Catholic. Shoot. The one thing I did not want. Ah, and then he caused me to be a nun. I don't know anything about my Catholic faith either. Like I'm so confused and I'm working from a radical feminist framework. That's all I have. That's all I have to work from. He calls me to be a nun. I enter the convent. They dress me up like a nun doll. And I, can you imagine the cognitive dissonance? What's going on in my brain? And we run Catholic bookstores and we evangelize. And I'm studying some theology and philosophy and all this scripture. and Nothing's making sense to me. But I know it's true because this is his church. Because he spoke to me from the Blessed Sacrament. So this is his church, right? Um, so I would just hand people books. Sister, can you explain to me? Here, read this book. It's all in there. <laughs> for years, for years and years, I couldn't explain. It was like, it's in there. I've read it too, but it doesn't make sense to me. So I wouldn't say that to people, but here you go. Um, until Theology of the Body. And then everything fell in place. Everything made perfect sense. This is what John Paul II has done with the Theology of the Body. He took the jigsaw puzzle of our Catholic faith, right? All these little pieces, all these little truths, and he dumped it out and he put it all together to show us how everything connects to everything else. And, and we wind up with this beautiful, gorgeous vision of the human person, right? That's possible to live. So I just wrote an article for America Magazine, which is the weekly Jesuit magazine from the States. It's called The Nun and the Pill. Because <laughs> I was first offered the pill at 13 and um by my pediatrician and i didn't know she was offering it to me to regulate my periods because it can help do that um i thought she wanted me to be sexually active at 13. i was like whoa a few more just give me a few more years okay like not right now i didn't she didn't explain much she was a very taciturn woman um she's like well i could prescribe the pill and i was like no <laughs> I mean, a few years, yes, please, but not right now. Anyway, what does it matter what a celibate thinks about the pill and contraception? What does it matter? Well, first of all, I'm a nun, so I teach the Catholic faith, and I better darn well understand it, right? Or else I'm laying false burdens on people, right? I mean, it's not a burden. We'll see in the end. This is not a burden. But, but I, I need to know what I am proposing to people, right? And as a Catholic, I'm not somebody who I'll be part of your organization if I don't believe in half of what you are about. I've got to be able to sign on wholeheartedly to your organization. <laughs> and it's actually God's organization, right? Um, but also my self-perception. So when I used to believe in contraception, my self-perception as a woman was much less. I thought much less of myself. Kind of like, yeah, well, women, you know, women have for the lion's share of fertility. We get pregnant and we shouldn't be getting pregnant all the time. It's a bad thing. And, and we need to suppress our fertility and our we're born wrong. We have to like 
fix our bodies and put devices inside of ourselves and take dangerous chemical pills. And I just had this much lower understanding of myself and, and much lower self-respect until I understood about this. So John Paul II says, those who cut themselves off absolutely from the natural results of conjugal intercourse ruin the spontaneity and depth of their experiences. Lack of mutual understanding and rational concern for the full well-being of a partner can lead to the same result. So it's kind of a misnomer, actually, to call it contraceptive. Like, people will oppose it natural means or artificial means of contraception. That's not what it is at all. And it's not really about artificial, the artificialness. That's not the problem. That's not the issue. It's about the total gift of husband and wife, as we said. And I was online chatting about it, and um, a bunch of men showed up. A bunch of husbands and dads showed up. And this is what they said. It's, I, I love to hear the, the male perspective, too, on it. Because when they do surveys of people who are not using natural family planning, who is more willing to try natural family planning, men or women? Who? Women. Yeah, I, I would have, I was shocked by that. Um, because the, again, the pill is so convenient. Women have to chart. They have to chart their cycles. It takes some know-how. It takes a little work and practice. Why did you say women? You're right, but why did you say women? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like we're often the ones to figure out how to, how to deal with it. <laughs> Women's intuition, right? <laughs> she just knew instinctively. You know why it's women and not men? Because the men don't want to abstain. They're not willing to abstain for that time. So... So there's a lot of education that has to happen and um, kind of willingness that has to happen. So I, I was also just interviewed for the USCCB. That's the U.S. Bishops Conference. Um, they have podcasts and they're doing celebrating 50 years of Humanae Vitae this year. And they asked me to be one of the speakers at the roundtable podcast. And the, the she's a young gal who does the podcast and she was presenting these scenarios that people will um, throw up and say, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? And um, well, what if this is happening in the marriage and that happening? And I said, wait a minute. I said, these scenarios that you're presenting are exactly what natural family planning and Humanae Vitae is trying to prevent in the first place. So the fact that people have gotten into these situations mean they, they hadn't signed on to Humanae Vitae in the first place. And now they're in this really sticky, bad situation that they're trying to get out of. And again, see, so it's, so the church has failed people, right? If we haven't explained NFP, people have, have not had, or Humanae Vitae have not had the information they needed to make good choices and start their marriages off right. You know, and now they're involved in these these really problematic situations because they haven't done humanae vitae. Does that make sense? Or they don't have the humanae vitae mentality. Yeah. 
And again, marriage is hard, right? Life is hard, right? So just choose your hardness. Choose, choose the way of, you know, the, of take up your cross and follow me or choose the, the wide path of the world. There's, there's problems on both, right? Right? But God's way is always going to be better. And when I have, and again, I've studied this so much, for me, the alternative to, to using natural family planning is just so much worse. It's just so much worse in every way. Not much worse, like they're both worse. I don't mean they're two evils that we're choosing between. But, but they're both difficult. They're not easy. Life is not easy. And we know that the hardest things in life, or, or rather the best things in life, require the most elbow grease, right? The best things in life are going to require the most of us. Why? Because they're so important and they're so worthy of our time and attention. There's a book called Sex au Naturel by a guy named Patrick Coffin. Yes, Coffin, C-O-F-F-I-N. He's an apologist. He actually just did an interview with Jordan Peterson and just like point blank, when are you going to become Catholic? <laughs> He talked with about faith with, with Jordan Peterson. But he has a great book called Sex au Naturel, What Is It and Why It's Good for Your Marriage. So what is the main difference between contraception and natural family planning? And we're going to go into to this a little more. But just, just basically, contraception is doing something while thwarting its purpose at the same time. And you could say it's thwarting one of sex's purposes, which is life, new life. But remember, it's also thwarting love because it's not a total gift. And natural family planning is not doing something. So there's a huge difference between doing something and thwarting it at the same time and just not doing something, abstaining, right? So that's one of the easiest things to remember. Now, notice we don't say artificial contraception. We never use that word artificial. Do you know why? Because it's not about technology or medicine or science. Do Catholics love technology and medicine and science? Mm-hmm. But it has to be in keeping with human dignity. It can't be used something against human dignity. So for example, think about this. There is nothing more natural than an artificial arm. There is nothing more natural than a prosthetic arm. If I lost my arm in a car accident and they fitted me for a prosthetic arm, there is nothing more natural than a prosthetic arm. What do I mean by that? Yeah. Because the arm is doing what it's supposed right. to do. So that prosthetic arm is doing what an arm does for me because I don't have that arm. Contraception does not do what fertility does. It, do, it does the opposite of what the body does. So what we're doing with contraception, we're taking a healthy functioning system in the body, reproduction, like we have, a, we have an endocrine system, we have a skeletal system, we have a cardiopulmonary system, we have systems in our body, right? We're taking a healthy functioning part of the body and turning it into a malfunctioning system over a long period of time. We're thwarting it. And, and there, are health, there are health consequences from doing that over a period of time as well. So it's, it's not that it's artificial. The arm is artificial, but it's doing what an arm does. Contraception is not healthcare because it's making our bodies unhealthy, 
right? It's, it's causing my body to malfunction. It's a lifestyle choice. It's not healthcare. It's not medicine. Medicine cures or prevents illnesses and diseases. Fertility is not an illness and a disease, but we look at it that way. You know, the ancients would have thought we were nuts. For them, like fertility was everything, right? Children are a blessing and everybody wanted to be fertile. And it was like, it was like a, they saw themselves as cursed. You know, if they couldn't have kids, it was like, I'm cursed. We, we've changed our values to a culture of death, basically from a culture of life to a culture of death. That's part of it. So God is love and God is life. What if God got up in the morning one day and said, today I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to give you life. What would happen to us? Poof, cease to exist, right? What if God got up one morning and said, well, I'm going to give you life today, but I'm not going to love you. What would happen to us? Poof, we'd cease to exist because God's love is his life. His life is his love. It's one thing. Now, did you know that we nuns can do spiritual contraception in the convent? <laughs> yes. Yeah, did you hear that? We nuns can do spiritual contraception in the convent. Yes, we can. How? What, what do you think I'm talking about? How would a religious community give new life to itself? Yes, that's that's would be our spiritual motherhood. Yes, um, outwardly, but within our congregation, how do we grow? Like, how does a family grow through having children, right, and perpetuate itself? How does a religious community grow and perpetuate itself? Yeah. Welcoming new members, yes, vocations. So vocation work. If if a community is not interested in vocations, fostering vocations and taking the time to do that, pray for vocations, whatever, that can be a form of spiritual contraception. Like, we're good. We're just concerned about living out our lives and myself, right? Um, now, I'm not saying that communities without vocations, that they're doing that. You know what I'm saying? There's different reasons why communities don't have vocations or whatever. But it can happen where, you know, we just get comfy, right? Enjoying our own life and not doing vocation work and not, you know, being spiritually fruitful that way. Okay, we're going to break at 11.30. So we can't separate love and life in the marital embrace. If we weren't human beings, if we weren't made in the image of God, if we weren't rational creatures who could know what is best for ourselves, body and soul, things might be different. But unfortunately, we are human beings made in the image of God, rational creatures who can know. Now, this is really important to understand. If you read Humanae Vitae, it's a very small document, very short. It's very good. I mean, Paul VI lays some groundwork but it's skeletal, right? It's very skeletal um, why the church is saying no to contraception and abortion because they're linked. But it needs so much more, right? So Paul VI says, right in Humanae Vitae, you guys are not going to understand this. <laughs> he said, I know where our culture is at 
And even though he's trying to answer some questions and explain it as best he can in a nutshell, he said, we need a new theology, a new explication of human love, human sexuality, marriage, and the family. So he kind of put the clarion call out there. And John Paul II took, took that up. So Humanity Vitae came out in 1968. John Paul II sat down in 1974. He was Cardinal Wojtyla at the time. In 1974, December 8, what's December 8? Magna Conception, 1974, sat down and started writing Theology of the Body to answer the call in Humanae Vitae to explain this to people of today. So this idea that, well, if we, if we don't use birth control, um, you, you have to trust that natural family planning works as well, that it's as effective. Um, so you're not going to have babies one right after another if you are using natural family planning. And, and remember, I always tell young people, remember, infertility is a huge problem today. You know, don't go into marriage thinking you're going to start, you know, be fertile myrtle and be having a bajillion babies. You may be struggling with infertility. So you may not want to practice natural family planning right away. Like you may want to see what's going on with your fertility first. Like check it out. Um, so natural family planning does use the latest science, right? We absolutely use the latest science that tells us how our fertility works. So don't let anyone tell you the church is anti-science. No, we're all about science. It's just how we apply it to human dignity. Um, But remember, 97% effective. That little 3% is where life can come in. Sometimes even when we're not hoping for it or planning for it, right? Life is persistent. Life will find a way. Even sterilization. Did you know that? Even people who get sterilized can still get pregnant. If the woman is in her fertile years, I always have these like heads, not these women are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know>, like <laughs> so we have to remember sex equals babies, sex equals babies. Let's remember that sex equals babies, sex equals babies. And men know that, right? So men are all about the bottom line. So a lot of times when I say, what is the purpose of sex? Even boys, young boys are babies. It's always a guy, babies. They don't always say it very nicely, but but it's like the bottom line. They know sex equals baby. Women like to, to do abstract, like extrapolate, like pretend. No, no, magical thinking. No, 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 no. I can control it. I won't get pregnant. Have you seen this picture online? This little baby boy was born clutching an IUD. <laughs> Isn't this hysterical? I'm sorry. <laughs> Life will find a way. This is an IUD. This is a contraceptive device that was inside of the mom. So he's like, I won! <laughs> you know how babies have those vice grips? You know how little babies have like superhuman strength and they're little like this? Okay. So let's take a break. Come back at 11.45. Bathrooms are around there, um, that end. Um, I can probably open up the door here too. And if you'd like any of the books, you need to take them upstairs to pay for them. And you can just go up and down the stairs there. You can also get out to the parking lot that way. If you have any questions, you can just bring them up on your index cards.